So here we are. Uh, it's been over a year since we decided to start Run It Like a Girl and uh, we're at the end of season one. Um, I'm joined today by uh, our producer Brian Long to just, you know, think back over the season and, and everything we've learned and what we've experienced. You know, it's been absolutely incredible to sit down, talk with 39 remarkable women from all different kinds of fields. I mean, from, you know, winemakers to politicians to uh, chief marketing officers. It's just been really incredible. We we did have some setbacks, as is the case with any podcast, I'm sure. Uh, sound was was one of the issues that we uh, we particularly uh, became frustrated with from time to time. Um, Unfortunately, with sound, it's a podcast, so that's a that's a big one to struggle with. <laughs> if you don't have good sound and to podcast, you you don't have a lot. <laughs> we uh, I think we tried about four or five different uh, uh, sound setups so we could get the absolute. A perfect sound. And um, you remember traveling to London, Ontario? About We traveled about three or four hours, yeah. interviewed uh, three different people, I think. Close to five hours, but you know, that's <laughs> and fine. Only, and only uh, one of those interviews actually was usable sound. Um, and we, we traveled all the way and, and had a great interview with Dr. Marlene Bagato, an audiologist at uh, uh, the University of Western Ontario. And we were so excited about it. She showed us around her lab and a great conversation. And we get home and the sound is completely unusable. Yeah. Um, yet somehow, you know, you're the sound guy, as we all, as we all know. But uh, I'm the one that always has to make those calls. <laughs> yeah. Say, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for giving us your morning. Unfortunately, uh, the sound's not usable. But you know what? Uh, what I think one of the greatest learnings from this year has been is how gracious people are and how, uh, how willing they are to give you your time. Because with uh, Marlene, you know, we... Uh, Said what happened, and and she basically said, you know, this happens. When can we, uh, when can we meet up again? I'm happy to to do take two. So I think that's uh, it's good. Really it's awesome. good to interview people that realize that life happens, right? That's that's how it, it goes sometimes. So we had, we had, you know other other than that, there was a few minor um, learning experiences in terms of you know the the, the sound production, but uh, but overall, I uh, I'm pleased with uh, with our our final products. Oh yeah, it's been awesome. It's been really incredible, you know, and uh, I think, um, you know, one of the things we wanted to do today is is just talk about some of the incredible women that we were able to feature. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of all 39 of those women, but we kind of picked out a few today to talk about. So maybe we'll just start with uh, with Bonnie Cairns. Yeah, Bonnie Cairns. What a, what a fantastic woman she is. A Canadian Red Cross disaster relief worker. Uh, she's been and witnessed firsthand all types of disasters, man-made and natural, right around the world. She's been to things like earthquakes and hurricanes, floods, even cholera outbreaks. She's been to Haiti, Afghanistan, Pakistan. I could go on and on. She talked to us about her experience in New York City after 9-11. Well, I tell you, I didn't expect to get sent there because I figured there's so many people in New York, they're not going to need a nurse from Canada as it, as it turned out, they were so involved, they really did need some outside people. So my job was right down near uh, Ground Zero, about three doors away, and we had a respite center where the workers who were clearing the debris, firefighters, um, police officers, they would come into this respite center um, every couple of hours just, just to rest and get away from what was going on down there. A young police officer came and, and asked me about where I was from, and I said, oh, I'm a nurse from Canada. And he said, are you a volunteer? I said, yes. He said, you've come all the way from Canada to volunteer here with us. And I said to him, if Canada needed you, would you come? 
And he paused and he said, I would do that in a heartbeat. And then he left, and about 20 minutes he came back and he said, I wanted to give you something that's really important to me. And as I looked, I noticed that his shoulder, there was a couple of strings hanging from his shoulder. He had taken his New York Police Department badge off and gave it to me to take home to remember. And you know what? Since our interview with, uh, with Bonnie, the Red Cross has increased their age limit for international disaster relief travel to 80. She was talking in the interview about how her international travel was done due to the fact that uh, she had surpassed uh, the, the 70 age. But they've upped that to 80, so... Bonnie's now on standby to go to Mozambique for disaster relief assistance there. Age shouldn't stand in your way, and I think Bonnie is a person that has has just demonstrated that so clearly. You know, in her 70s, headed to Mozambique is pretty incredible. Absolutely. What other uh, guests have had an impact on you? Well, you know, there's one guest who I really was hoping would become my best friend (laughs) because I loved her so much. Uh, Proud to say we are friends on Facebook. And uh, that's Inspector uh, Sherry Meeks, who's with the Bel- Belleville Police Service uh, in Ontario. And, you know, one of the things that she said is, is that, uh, you know, she learned she could do this without ever giving up any of her femininity. You know, she is a woman, and she can do this job being a woman. She doesn't have to be the tough guy. She can uh, bring her best to work, and it is, uh, her results have spoken for herself. Yep, and she talked to us about uh, some great advice that she was given while she was progressing through earlier on in her career as a police officer. The best advice this person gave to me, because I was scared about changing who I was to be in this position, because I'd seen it happen um, to other people, and he said, don't change yourself to fit the position, fit the position to you, to your personality. So don't change who you are in order to, to be in this position change the position to adapt to you and your style. So that was probably the best advice that I got. You know, one of my uh, most exciting moments this year is when uh, I got a message in Facebook. And it uh, was from Kaylee Humphreys, uh, Olympic gold medalist, two-time Olympic gold medalist for bobsleigh, bronze, bronze medalist as well. And I had reached out to her because one of my friends said, you have to interview Kaylee. She is remarkable. And, you know, I reached out to her and I, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't expect to hear back, but uh, she responded with her phone number said, give me a call. I'd love to be on your podcast. Sounds awesome. You know, the best things start small and, and I like what you're doing. And, you know, she was incredible. She's uh, been named one of the top 50, uh, 50 fittest athletes in the world by Sports Illustrated. And if you don't, you should check her out on Instagram because she posts her videos of her workouts. And I got to say, she is absolutely incredible and, and has also been a champion for, uh, for getting women in the uh, four-man bobsleigh event. And, in fact, was the first, one of the first women, and, I mean, her and one other person, were the first two women to compete uh, with men. And Kaylee talked to us about what exactly it feels like to hurtle down a frozen track in a bobsled. <laughs> not very comfortable. It was not a very comfortable feeling. I think a lot of people watch bobsleigh, as I did on TV, and it looks very smooth and very fun. The ride is actually very rough. The sled is just fiberglass or carbon fiber and some steel. There's no springs. There's no shocks. There's no padding whatsoever. Um Depending on the ice, it can be a fairly rough or bumpy ride. The sled kind of whips on and off the corners. So at no point do you lean. You basically get chucked into a corner really hard and your body just goes from, you know, sitting upright to being, you know, horizontal or vertical on a corner. And yeah, it it takes some getting used to. There is no way I can describe the feeling. It is something extremely different. 
So another incredible woman in this long list of incredibles we spoke with was Dr. Hazel Barton. And she's been able to take two of her life passions and combine them into one extraordinary career. So she's a microbiologist working at the University of Akron in Ohio. But she's also an avid caver. She's been on countless adventures over the year, years. And she combines these two skills and she focuses her work on microorganisms that thrive in deep subsurface environments. And she talked to us about how she learned she could be both a caver and still maintain her femininity. I think being a girl, you have to be tough. When I started out, I think the male to female ratio was about 20 to 1. Um, So I'd go on expeditions when I was the only girl. And I made the mistake of trying to prove that I was as tough as everybody else. Um, So, you know, I had to be able to carry a pack as heavy. I had to be able to do this. I had to be able to do that. Um, And it made me... I don't want to say competitive with men, but it made me really aggressive about trying to be an equal. And as I've matured as a woman, I realized that I actually really like being a girl. And there are aspects of being a girl that I thoroughly enjoy. And I don't feel like I have to sacrifice that anymore. And I think when I was younger, there was that, that, that drive to be, you know, be competitive and be as good as. Whereas now I realize that helping other people get to where they want to be and enjoying the ride is is good. And I like being a girl. I like putting on heels. I like wearing fancy dresses. And I don't have to sacrifice my femininity to be accepted as a good cave explorer. But it took me a long time to get to that point. I was probably in my 30s before I realized that. Do you know what else is pretty cool? Uh, if you ever want to uh, learn a bit about caving and, and, and what that job is like, Hazel actually starred in, uh, in the 2001 IMAX film, Journey into Amazing Caves. And she's also co-written children's books based on that film. And I got to tell you, I watched that film and, uh, and what they do is pretty incredible. And uh, I would recommend anyone watch it. I just think she's, uh, she's a rock star and so happy to have had her. Um, and speaking of rock stars, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> maybe we can talk a minute about Orlena Kane. Orlena Kane, that's another incredible interview we had. Beauty about Orlena Kane is that uh, we really didn't have to travel very far to interview Orlena Kane. She's sort of right here in our in our home territory. Uh, she's a radio show host in Belleville, Ontario. And again, Belleville's about two hours east of Toronto. She's a budding stand-up comic. She's also an entrepreneur and has owned a business. She's been involved in modeling, voiceover work, acting in commercials. She's worked on ET Canada, and she was also a host on the Shopping Channel. And although everything in her life looks like it's going well now, uh, she tells us this was not always the case. My mother was a teenage mom. Uh, when she got married, I was, you know, in, in my early, I think I was like seven or eight years old. But she was, she was a young mother, and she got married to the wrong guy. And starting out my life... In short, I suffered 10 years of abuse. I was four years old till I was 14. I suffered you know, sexual, mental, physical abuse on a daily basis for 10 years. But while all of that was happening and I was um, in, in public school, I excelled. And all of that was going on at school, but at home, my home life was very difficult, very traumatic, and it shaped me to be a strong and confident and powerful woman because had those experiences not happened to me, 
I wouldn't be who I am today, which is somebody who knows that you can face the worst things in your life and still come out on top. And and next, I wanted to talk about someone because she has a she's in the same business as me, which is marketing. Uh, Betsy Chung, who is the uh, chief marketing officer for TD uh, Banking in Canada. Um, and she welcomed us into TD's offices actually in Toronto to chat a bit about her. And, you know, one thing that, uh, that is clear from her is her passion for diversity and inclusion. Um, you know, and she talks to us about how the sky's the limit in, uh, in your career path. You make your own career and uh, there is no determined path. So you can really choose your own adventure. So when I was 20 years old, I was um, in university and I was at U of T and I didn't know what I wanted to be. And so I didn't know what to major in. I was, I was majoring at the time in Bachelor of Commerce and in economics and psychology, and I didn't know what I wanted to be. And I remember even as I graduated, I really didn't know what I wanted to be. So I really believe that as a 20-year-old, you can take various paths in life and still find the path that is the most right for you. Essentially, success is really what you want success to be, and there's no predefined path in life. So that's sort of, I still maybe have a number of years ahead of me and, and who knows um, what I'm going to be as I grow up. But, but really, it's, as a 20-year-old, um, it's, it's really, the, like the possibilities are really endless for people nowadays. And, and I think it's amazing. So I hope my daughters are going to be whoever they want to be in, in the future as well. Again, here's another incredible woman, Rhiannon Trail. Tell me about Rhiannon. Uh, um, you know, she's... Uh... She's pretty incredible. She is the uh, president and CEO of uh, the Economic Club of Canada, a role she's held since uh, since being in her late 20s, you know, and uh, to think about that. I mean, she has interviewed some of the world's greatest speakers, including uh, Michelle Obama, Amal Clooney. I mean, just uh, the idea that someone, uh, you know, can go into an organization at such a young age and just rocket it out of there. Um, but what I found interesting about her is that, you know, one thing that was important to her was, uh, was youth and getting youth involved more. So she was also just a, an excellent person to talk with. What I found really interesting was, was how she landed the job, uh, that she's got at the Economic Club of Canada. She was just a, a, a student at Ryerson University. Um, and she was speaking and she drew the attention of a founding board member of the Economic Club of Toronto at that time. And she was able to secure an entry-level job with the club. And after only six months on the job... I got up enough courage to ask the CEO if he would meet with me um, after work one day just to hear a few of my ideas. Nervously went in to share some of those with him. And the most beautiful thing, and, and this is a message that I want to share, is that my ideas were heard. I confidently presented them. I took that chance and they were heard. Um, slowly but surely, I was given the opportunity to start implementing those ideas and it led me to um, becoming very quickly within the next two and a half years, the vice president of the Economic Club of Canada. No one knew that there was this sort of young woman um, behind the face of this very sort of Bay Street institution Boys Club, but I was there and I was working away and I was figuring out um, what my role was going to be in that in that place and how I could play and how I could change the way that we were having conversations in this country so that we could be more inclusive and have more women at the table, have more young people at the table. 
It eventually led to um, the CEO uh, deciding to run for public office. And when he did, I was first in line to be asked to take over the organization. Um, I was nine months pregnant when that all happened and the transition happened. Um, but I stepped into the role and I've been running the organization and now owner um, of the organization for coming up to eight years. Our next uh, guest is uh, another, I keep saying this, but she is another incredible young woman. This is Hannah Taylor. She's only 23. She's from Winnipeg, Manitoba. But she formed the Ladybug Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization aimed at fighting homelessness and poverty when she was just eight years old. And it's now raised around $4 million to support shelters and missions and food banks across the country. I, uh, when I was five years old, I was driving down a back lane in my mom's car, and it was December. And I, I was born in Winnipeg, and I, I grew up in Winnipeg. And anybody who's been here knows that it's freezing in the winter in Winnipeg. Um, and... I, I was driving down this back lane and I looked out my car window and I saw a gentleman searching for food in a garbage dumpster. And I've always lived a very fortunate life. Um, I've never had to think about whether or not I had a cozy bed to sleep in or food to eat or love and care. And I didn't realize that homelessness or poverty existed in Canada. And I think that also everybody has a moment of striking realization uh, that hits them in the heart and the gut that they cannot let go of. And for me, seeing this gentleman um, in the back alley was that moment. And so I turned to my mom and I said, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? And she said that he was homeless and he was down in his luck and he had to do that to eat. And for about a year, I worried about this man. And as I learned more about homelessness and poverty in Canada, others who also live homeless lives. Um, and I would ask my parents questions they couldn't possibly answer, uh, like, you know, where is, where is he sleeping tonight, mom? Where is his family? That kind of thing. Uh, and about a year later, I was being tucked into bed. And I asked my mom yet another question that she couldn't really answer. And she said, you know, Hannah, maybe if you do something about it, your heart won't feel so sad. And so the next day I went to my grade one teacher and I asked her if I could talk to my class about homelessness and if we could do something to help. And we ended up having a, a bake and art sale and gathering coffee and clothes and blankets and um, donating what we had raised and gathered to a solo mission, a local shelter in Winnipeg. After that, I just kind of, I kept talking to others, anyone, really anyone who would listen about what we could do to help. And that ranged from other peers of mine to business people in the community. Um, like I said, anyone who would listen. And when I was eight, we had gotten to the point where we were uh, raising and distributing enough uh money throughout Winnipeg to different organizations that work for those who are homeless, then in order to keep going, we had to become a registered charity. So I never actually thought that we would be uh, as big as we are. Um, the Ladybug Foundation, um, in our work to raise funds and awareness for those who are homeless, hungry, or living in poverty in Canada, now supports about 70, 70 different shelters, missions, and food banks across the country. And we've raised about $4 million to support those organizations and also empower young people to make a difference. You know, and uh, for her work, Hannah Hannah has received an International Humanitarian Award and a Governor General's Award. Wow. Yeah. We've got some pretty prominent guests <laughs> on the show. Um, and, you know, the next one's uh, no exception. Another person just so willing of her to give her time is Savan Pelvetsian. Uh, Savan is the um, CEO of Civic Action, which is an influential city-building organization that aims to develop cooperative solutions to some of the most pressing city challenges in greater Toronto and Hamilton area. It's actually considered to be one of the premier civic engagement organizations in the entire country. Mm -hmm. And Savon talked to us about the importance 
of owning your spot at the table. I was fortunate to be raised in a house where the kitchen table was my first classroom. And so we had, my dad in particular, would talk about issues of the day and we as kids would engage in a discussion around the table, right? And we didn't have dinner together every night as a family of seven, but we did many. So I learned uh, how to understand issues and importantly, how to debate issues. My girls uh, will often have dinner, again, around our dinner table, our, our, our kitchen table, and we play this game. Um, and what happens is I pick a city building topic and then I don't tell the kids which side they are. One is for, one is against, right? Uh, so we did one. We did Young Street. You know the bike lanes? There's a yes. big discussion. Should we put bike lanes down the middle of Young or down the side of Young Street? So one of my daughters was arguing yes. One of my daughters <laughs> had to argue no. And it was fascinating to hear their little kid views on why yes or why no. I'm not doing that so that they understand the value of bike lanes on Young Street. That's helpful. I'm doing that so that they understand what it's like to hear their voice. Being able to own your seat at a table, whether it's the kitchen table, the boardroom table, the classroom table, is not innately given to us. It is a skill like anything else, and it needs to be honed, I believe, at a young age for it to really be lasting. I do this with my daughters because, frankly, it was done with me, and I know the confidence that comes from being able to own that seat at the table. Our final featured guest today is Dr. Anne-Marie Vaughan. She's the president of Loyalist College of Applied Arts and Technology in Belleville, Ontario. She grew up in Newfoundland, starting university at just the age of 16 at Memorial University in St. John's. She entered student politics in her third year, and by 21, Dr. Anne-Marie Vaughan had advanced through to become the president of the largest student union in Atlantic Canada, only the third woman to hold that role. Her advice to young people... Take opportunities and do not be afraid of failure. Don't lose, lose sight of what's important to you and seek and find mentors. I've been very lucky. I have a, a, a large network because of the things I've been involved in. That's the other value of having so many different interests. You build a real network of people that you can celebrate and you watch as they lead and grow. When I'm watching some of the women that I was involved with in student politics become some of the most senior people in the business world in this country, to be active um, uh, political leaders. Uh, one of them who was uh, someone who I really valued as a, as a professional when I was an undergraduate student is now the lieutenant governor of my home province. So I watch these women, and I've admired them, and uh, they're part of my network. And I celebrate their success along the way because I know they celebrate mine. And then finally, as all of us in my age group, we have a duty and a responsibility for those that follow us. I take that very seriously. Um, I know that I'm, I have a unique opportunity in the field I am in higher education uh, to allow that to be instilled even more. And I take that very seriously that we're building tomorrow's leaders. Uh, and for me as a woman, I'm, I'm building uh, in particular um, uh, female leaders for tomorrow. And it's an exciting place to be. I've chosen the right career path for me. And it's brought me an awful lot of benefits in life as a result of it. So, Bonnie, season one in the books. Hmm. 39 incredible um, women. And I know we've said that over and over, but they are. And that's why we keep saying that they're incredible women because there is... You know, you know, there aren't many other descriptions that would uh, would fit. Uh, what kind of takeaways did you uh, did you have from this season? 
You know, I, uh, I loved, I love doing this because, um, it, it helped me in my own career as well in terms of, you know, we all go through points in our career where we might have, uh, our confidence might have shaken or we, we may not be feeling that we are doing the best we are able to do or that we're getting the opportunities we want. And I think that, you know, one question we asked everybody throughout the year was, you know, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back to the beginning, back to, you know, those early years, whether it's back to being eight years old for Hannah Taylor, who's already done so many remarkable things at 23, or back to your 20s when you're first starting university. And while everyone's answers were different, what I found, their clear themes came out, right? was like, don't be afraid. Put your hand up for opportunity. Don't worry so much about where you are at this moment or the path that you're on, and do not be afraid. Take chances, take risks, fail fast, fail often, and find what it is that you're really passionate about. So I know when I'm, you know, shaky or not feeling like I'm, I'm uh, doing the best at my job or bringing the best or being able to navigate certain aspects of my life, I think these women just, you go back and listen to them and, and hear their stories and, and gain that confidence all over again. You know, what we're going to do now is uh, we're going to take a break. For a little bit. Um, season one is wrapped. We're really excited. But we are going to re-release these top 10 over the next 10 weeks. Um, because, uh, you know, I just think there's so much uh, so much value in these 10, but also in the whole 39. Um, still trying to figure out what's season two going to look like for us. Brian, what do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, that's, you know, it's, um, it's um, exciting to think of the possibilities. It's also a little scary too, because um, we're, we're going to shake things up a little bit. I think, right? Uh -huh. it's, we're not going to. Um, there's going to be some differences that uh, people might notice in uh, in season two. And anytime you have change like that, it's exciting, but a little scary at the same time. So I hope uh, I hope you'll all join us again in the fall um, when we're uh, going to launch season two of Run It Like a Girl. All right, we look forward to talking to you again. Awesome. Take care.